And again, I want to thank you all for being here today. And the question is, is love the greatest feeling? Is love the greatest feeling? Is love the greatest feeling? What I want to say to you today is that I don't think it is. What? Love is in our core values. Love is in our purpose. How is love not the greatest feeling? And I want to read y'all scripture before I go in more about it. It's in Romans chapter 7, verse 14 through 25. And this is the only scripture that we have today. It says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. Anyone feel like that? (laughs) I don't really understand myself sometimes. I don't know why I did that. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I knew that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And does that not hit home for all of us? (laughs) But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. Remember that phrase. There's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Everyone's had that moment, right? Especially the moment that you start trying to be a Christian and you feel like you can't meet all these made-up rules that everyone tries to put on you. Man, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. That's one of those moments where you put extra emphasis on the O. Thank God. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. What I think is the greatest feeling in the world that even, even supersedes love is pleasure. Someone say pleasure. Pleasure. You even want to say it pleasurably, right? Pleasure. Pleasure. Everyone in the world is doing something to get some type of pleasure. If you think about even in our lives, it's almost like what is driving us in our pursuits is some type of satisfaction that comes from pleasure. I believe that love is the greatest action, but I do not agree that it is the greatest feeling. I think that pleasure is the greatest feeling. 
Pleasure is what drives our emotion and our decisions so often to the point that someone who loves their spouse would cheat on that person that they love so much for just a moment of pleasure at a given time. Even though everything in them didn't want to do it, the pleasure was so enticing that it caused them to act out of character and against the love that they had for their spouse. There's a lot of people that end up cheating on their spouse that are filled with guilt and shame. Now, in no way am I justifying adultery. What I'm saying is a lot of people do things that they really don't want to do. You've ever tried to quit a habit? Ever tried to stop doing drugs or try to start eating better or go to the gym? Anyone? Isn't it weird how you want to do it, but something and you just can't? And usually it's because the pleasure of either not doing it or continuing to do it is so enticing. I remember the, the, the week that I decided I was going to stop smoking weed. I remember up to that point, I, was, I believed there's no, no reason that I needed to stop. It's good. It's good for me. Right? There's no, it's not addictive. There's nothing wrong with it. God made it, right? All the things that, that we say to justify something that we're doing. And there was one day where I really believed that God spoke to me and he just asked me a simple question. He said, do you think that you're addicted to it? No, of course not. It's impossible. And then I felt like God asked me a very sobering question. Then why don't you stop? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't want to stop. And after that, I felt like God went silent. And I just was like, arguing with myself like well I don't want to stop then I started thinking well isn't that what an addiction is <laughs> like I started really battling in my mind well I don't want to stop because it, it gives me this and I started realizing that the reason I don't want to stop was connected to the pleasure that it gave me the pleasure and peace that it gave me peace is pleasurable right being able to have a, a difficult day a day that really stunk and all of a sudden you get to go home and like well, I'm going to just chill out and kick back and smoke a doobie. <laughs> Maybe have a drink, play a couple video games, zone out. Whatever it is, we go to something that gives us pleasure in the, those difficult times. For me, it was weed. And I remember I had decided I'm going, to be, I'm going to take this on real spiritual. I'm going to fast smoking weed for seven days. And let me make it a little more clear. Fasting is when you... Stop doing something, usually it's food. I didn't say I was going to stop, <laughs> stop eating or doing anything else. Just not smoking weed because I was smoking every single day like a lot of pot smokers do. Before I went to school, after, before work, after. Every part of my day, before I went running, I'd go running. I was like, let me just make this time a little bit better. And so for me, not smoking for seven days was a big leap. It was a big step. And by the third day, it was so clear to me how addicted I was to this substance. How, how much the pleasure was controlling me, consuming me. The very first day that I 
on my fast. I remember getting home. No one was around. <laughs> it was a perfect scenario, perfect time. And I remember I was like literally battling in my mind. <laughs> you ever have those moments where you're deciding whether or not you're going to do it and you're like, oh, or am I the only psychopath here? <laughs> and I remember I was, it's like when you really don't want to do something, but everything in you wants to do it. And I remember I went to my knees trying to not yell and I, I lost it. And I started yelling at the top of my lungs and punching the ground. <laughs> and I remember as I lay there exhausted, with my face holding me up on the ground, I was like, okay, maybe this did have a little bit more of a hold on me than I realized. The pleasure was so much more enticing than I realized, so much more controlling than I realized. You know, pleasure being the strongest feeling in the world to where it makes you where you even plan to go to work but the pleasure of sleeping in is so good that you just call into work instead. Even this morning, for some of you maybe, you plan to go to church. You're ready. You're already committed to in your mind. I'm going to wake up at this moment. But then the pleasure at that moment, once you get there, is so enticing, you hit the snooze a couple times. You already decided to do it. You wanted to do it. You knew it. But the pleasure convinced you to not do something that you wanted to do. These are all small moments, but think about the bigger ones. The big pleasure moments. Where it's like a real battle. And it makes me, I just, I just think, uh, not because I'm talking about myself. I just imagine people that commit adultery I, and I just think about how much I know that there are people that commit adultery just willy nilly. Like it's not a big deal. They act like they're not that they're just dating, that they're not married. They don't think it's a big deal. But I think about the people that I've seen so many stories where it's like a real battle. And it's just like the wrong moment at the wrong time. But they were there. And it's so enticing that they just. They just gave in. They couldn't resist. And the moment everything's done, they feel so dirty, feel so ashamed, feel so regretful. And I feel like those ending moments we can all relate to. Feeling ashamed, full of regret, guilty. Why did I do this? Why did I do this to myself? It could be as simple as trying to, to eat right, go to the gym, Everyone does that at some point, right? And the moment that someone brings Thres Leches cake, <laughs> so all of a sudden, you're leaving a store and they're like, hey, we have this extra cheesecake. Do you want it? Oh my gosh. Even last night at the guys' night, I, right when we were leaving, they said, hey, we have all these pastries that we have to throw away at the end of the day. Do you guys want them? I'm talking about like homemade Pop-Tarts, uh, psychedelic muffins. I mean, uh, some stuff, I don't even know what it was, but it was covered in powdered sugar. Looked amazing. 
And I confessed to the guys night because victory happens with transparency. I said, you know, guys, I actually, I don't necessarily, uh, I do diet. I don't eat sweets for a long period of time. And I deny sweets like on a regular basis because I'm waiting for that one right moment to where it's just like the, the perfect storm. Waiting for the right opportunity like last night, like, hey, you know what? Do you guys just want all these sugary pastries? It's like, in fact, yes, I do. <laughs> you may think that you're just giving these pastries on a whim, but I've been waiting for these pastries. I've been waiting for this moment in time, this day, and I'm ready. I'm ready to take that on. <laughs> and even like, for me, I, I'm like, uh, I used to be hood and now I'm not hood. But sometimes the hood comes out. And if you've ever been in a little bit of hood, you know that whenever there's food available, you get more than you want right now. You get some for later. And I start filling my bag. And I look at everybody else's, and they just got like one or two, and their bag is able to be wrapped up and closed. And mine is literally overflowing. Like, oh, y'all ain't going to do it like that. See, it's like when pleasure comes, you either were waiting for it and ready to take on that pleasure, or you're like, I'm going to just take one. Just one, just to take off the edge. I'm just going to... A little text isn't going to hurt. Sending a little picture isn't going to do anything. Having one, one puff isn't... One sip, one drink... Playing a couple hours of video games, zone out, just to decompress. It's that pleasure that takes over. And what's funny about pleasure scientifically, I believe that most addictions are not necessarily based off of the substance itself. I think it's the addiction forms from the pleasure you get out of it. Whether it's alcoholism, pornography, drug addiction, sex addiction, any kind of addiction. Maybe you're addicted to working out, whatever it is. That, I believe that's the pleasure that comes that's so addicting. Even, did you know, even people who cut themselves, it, it, it releases a type of endorphin that your body naturally gives off to help cope with pain. Your body is a natural drug user. <laughs> Your body releases endorphins to be as a as a painkiller. And so people who cut themselves the reason it becomes so addicting is because there is a pleasure, there is a release from doing it. And and that's why it's so hard for even people who cut themselves to stop because there's a type of pleasure that comes and helps cope with the pain that they're experiencing in their life. And the thing about pleasure in your brain is that when your pleasure sensors in your brain start to rise, your judgment sensors literally start to go down. It's like a give and take. That's why without pleasure around, you can make some really cognitive decisions. You know, I'm going to start flossing. I know that I need to. But then all of a sudden you get to that point and even the simple pleasure of just going to bed. 
It's like, well, I don't really need to do this today. That's why we go back and forth. Our, the pleasure is literally taking over our judgment and causing us to do things that we normally wouldn't do. That's why a spouse could be so determined in their vows, so willing to say no. But once the pleasure happens, your sensors get all messed up. All of a sudden, the pleasure seems more enticing than judgment. Being a youth pastor and also not being raised in church is a bad combination. <laughs> when I used to be a youth pastor, I had, in my opinion, some very practical realities for young Christian believers, especially when it came to dating. And now I was not one of those uh, youth pastors that just said, no, you just should never date until you get married when you're 30 or whatever. I got married when I was 20. And, but what I did tell students is I really strongly believed that public protects purity. Dating in public protects purity. Not all the time, because some kids are just so hot and bothered, they'll have sex in a Starbucks bathroom. But it does help if you're actually trying. If you're actually trying to not do something, it helps to have a community that is trying to support you as well. And one thing that I told students, and I still believe today, that I would tell anyone that's trying to have like a pure idea of marriage or pure idea of dating, waiting for marriage, is that, do you know why so many churches have Christians that have unplanned pregnancies? I mean, I, I know like in our, our culture, in our generation, whatever, has a lot of unplanned pregnancies. Um, but do you know why specifically in church... There's so many people that end up just freaking out and getting married at the courthouse because they got pregnant, specifically in church, is because Christians don't carry condoms. You know why? Because they are not planning to give in to the temptation of having sex. They are wanting to stay pure. They are wanting to wait for marriage. But when you get all hot and bothered that seems just so far away why when we could just do it now and for your average christian that is trying to wait till marriage it starts with just a little bit of kissing and all of a sudden it's like oh my gosh <laughs> if i already made it this far like i might as well just go a little bit farther and then you start going a little farther it's like man this is this is amazing how can I stop now? And all of a sudden it gets all the way where you get the, the finish line. And it's all over. And you're thinking, man, this, I don't think this was a race after all. <laughs> I didn't really win anything. I, I lost something. That's how it's like with addictions. That's what it's like with pleasure. Is it eludes to make you feel like you're about to win something at the end. And after you get that final pleasure, afterwards you realize that you're never, in a, you're never running in a race, you were, being, you were walking into a prison cell. Pleasure promises to serve and please you, but it ends up entrapping you and imprisoning you. Let's talk about the chase. The chase. I think we all have a good understanding of pleasure, right? Let's talk about the chase. 
See, we're all chasing that feeling of pleasure. Sometimes we, f- we find it in relationships, careers, purposes, substances. And we either get stuck in a couple, uh, one of these three places. And when I'm talking about the chase, let me say this. Pleasure is not 100% bad. There are some pleasures that are absolutely good. See, pleasure is like a double-sided coin. You either, get, uh, you either get the good side or the bad side. And I strongly believe that the Bible gives us guidelines for those healthy pleasures. I'm not talking about uh, preaching, don't do this, don't do that. I'm talking about that the th- most of the things that the Bible warns us against it says, like one of the common sayings is that all sin leads to death. Well, sin is absolutely pleasurable. But the, it's the moment that that sinfulness is acted upon, it gives birth to a type of death within us. Every, every sinful pleasure has a reaction that we regret, that we feel guilty of, that, that hurts us. But think about the pleasures that are good. Like we spend a lot of time talking about uh, about sex outside of marriage and how dangerous it can be feeling like something is taken from you instead of you actually achieving something. But think about sex within marriage. It's amazing. I want to do it every day. There's, there's not one bad part about it. <laughs> My wife is like, all right, that's how we're preaching today. Okay. <laughs> all right. It, it, there's, and me and my wife, we're, we're open about being sexually active because there's this weird stigma in church that like uh, marital sex doesn't happen. I don't know how unhappy those people are, but <laughs> I, it, it, is a, it is a God-made thing. Think about even the like setting on sex for a minute. Think about and. When God made sex, when we look in, in the book of Genesis, it said that when God created Adam and Eve, the very first thing that Adam does when he meets Eve. Now, look, I'm not, I don't know if there's some other like maybe they, they just didn't want to put it in there. They just didn't want to write about, you know, some extra conversations. But the very first thing that Adam did when he met Eve it doesn't say in description, but it says that God created Eve. And then the next part of the text says, and that is why a man shall be joined to a woman. <laughs> and, a, and he shall leave his father and mother to be joined with his wife. <laughs> and it, ta- it talks about sex right then. It's the first thing they did. And I want you to even think about what we've been taught growing up. Even, especially in church. We think, what's the, what's the purpose of sex? And the first thing we think is, well, to produce. To produce. To be fruitful and mo- multiply. That's what it is. Well, I'm not trying to... Uh, I'm completely disagreeing, actually. <laughs> because sex is not always fruitful, but it is always pleasurable. It... Every, 
time it's able to be pleasurable, but not every time is it able to be fruitful. And it's not like God was up in heaven and Adam and Eve came out of this bush. It was like, hey, God, guess what? Guess what we found out today? And God wasn't up there like, you did what? Oh, my goodness. You mean the parts like fit? I guess y'all guys could do that. I don't even think of that. No. He specifically made our bodies to fit together, to work. To, to be pleasurable. And when we understand that there are good pleasures too, then it makes, us, uh, it makes this idea of our world and our pursuit of God different. It is not just, uh, so many times people are so hesitant of trusting in God or giving their life to Christ because they start thinking about all the pleasures that they're going to have to give up. Well, then I'm not going to have any kind of pleasure in the world at all. I'm going to just be a miserable person that's just waiting to die. But the other side of the coin is, yeah, there are pleasures that you should give up. But there are so many more pleasures on the other side. There are amazing pleasures in Christ. There's amazing pleasures living a righteous life. I've tried everything else. I've done cocaine. I've smoked weed. I've, I've, I've had premarital sex. I did all that. And now I'm on the other side. I'm like, Psh, why would I ever go back there? I found all this good stuff over here. I tried everything else and now I don't need anything else. And so often we were taught that pleasure is just this uh, evil thing that we should never, uh, <laughs> that we should have never agreed to in the first place. But think about even the, the bad addictions. Are they not fulfilling pleasures that you need as a person? I mean, just smoking weed, like, isn't it good for me to feel peace and decompress? Yeah, it is good for me. I'm not saying weed is good for me. But the the pleasures that it would give me, yeah, it does have some some things that my body needs. The only thing is that I'm looking for those pleasures in the wrong places. It's when we start, even, even just like I was talking about how you can overindulge in working out and making that the place where you only find pleasures. But that is definitely a healthy alternative or, uh, of finding pleasure. If I could find pleasure in working out instead of cutting myself, then I, I'm going to start working out until I can uh, better adjust my emotions. Y'all dig what I'm saying? There, there are so many healthy, good pleasures. Even think about uh, pornography addiction. People that experience that, is, it, it's because it gives a type of satisfaction and pleasure from being lonely. It, the moment that you're, you, I mean, when is it done? When you're alone, when you're lonely. Usually people start doing it when they feel depressed. It's like their vice, their mechanism that they go to. There's some legit parts of their heart and their lives that need attention, that need hope, that need peace, that need pleasure. But they're finding it in something that is insatiable. Insatiable means that it promises to satisfy, but you never get there. You always end up having to go back. 
So I told y'all a minute ago that there's three things that we usually end up doing in the chase. The first one is the hamster wheel. The illusion that you're doing something when you're not going anywhere. That's what addiction is. That's what one more time is. It, it traps you in this hamster wheel where you're literally tiring out your body, tiring out your soul, tiring out your life, and you're not going anywhere. That's what it feels like when I remember when I decided to stop drinking, it was so hard for me because I had done it for so long. But there's a moment that I realized that, that alcohol was just a hamster wheel for me. I realized that every time I drank, bad things were... Hey, don't get me wrong. Like, there's some, like, happy, happy drunks, right? Like, I'm not trying to tell you that you can't... Uh, I'm not trying to tell you that any drink is sinful. No. But for me, it was an addiction. I couldn't stop. And I remember I would go to it over and over and over, and I would have the same negative results every time. I would push people away. I ended up wanting to get into a fight. I'd say something that I'd regret. I'd get blackout drunk. One time I woke up at a graveyard. <laughs> like that's a, you know you're an emotional drunk when you're going to those places, right? <laughs> and there's a point where I realized, man, these, I'm on this hamster wheel where I'm literally striving and trying so hard to drink. This is before I was even 21. I was working so hard just to, to get something. And it would just leave me emptier than when I started. It's the illusion that this will make me feel better for a moment. I know that it's not going to fix my problems, but it's going to at least help me to deal with them right now. That's the illusion. But then it, it sticks you in that hamster wheel where you can't get out. And you feel like if you do stop, something scary is going to happen. Imagine that hamster going so fast. It's like, man, I'm, I, don't, I don't know if I can jump out of here. <laughs> I'm going really fast. <laughs> but it's funny because it's not really going anywhere. It just feels like it. Maybe it's a hamster wheel for you, or maybe you're lost at sea looking for treasure. You're a person that isolates yourself. You run away from problems. You just... If you've ever thought, I just need to get out of the town. I just need to get out of this town, and it'll be better if I start somewhere else. You might be a pirate. <laughs> Lost at sea, traveling through this world, abandoning each new post that you set up, on search for that one place, that one person, that one moment that's going to be like treasure. And you think to yourself, if I could just meet the right person, it'd all be different. If I could just meet that one treasure, it'd all be different. If I could just find the right job, then my life will be better. You're lost at sea, traveling aimlessly, and no place will ever be good enough. No place is going to be the right spot. And you're going to make relationships and break relationships over and over and over. Meeting people that really do care about you, but you think, no, they don't really care about me. There's a greater treasure up ahead. I just need to keep going. You're going to live aimless. Might be lost at sea looking for treasure, never finding it. Or you could be this third option. 
And the third option is the right option, okay? You get A, B, or C. <laughs> and the Bible talks about in Psalms, it's David talking to God, and there's one Psalm in particular where he says, I am like an olive tree that's planted by the river, bearing fruit in the right seasons. I'm completely satisfied in you. And so this part of the chase is when we find fulfillment. Satisfaction. Satisfaction is what we really want. To be satisfied in this life, to be satisfied in your job, be satisfied with your family, your relationships. And when it talks about a tree being planted by the river, I really believe it's a perfect imagery of what it's like when you put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ. Because at first glance, we think that, we just think like, oh, a tree that has everything it needs. Ah, that's, that's cool, I guess. But I need more than that. Think about really what a tree planted by a river looks like. It means that a source is always readily available. I believe that that's what it's like with God. That, the, that He is the source of our satisfaction. And I believe that He's the source of our pleasure. And a tree, though, being connected to that source, even planted by a river, still has droughts. Still has moments where it seems like the river has gone down. Everyone that's been around a lake or a river, you know that the lakes and rivers go high and they go down. It's a time where there's a lot of water, there's not that much water. And see, in those moments where the, the river goes down, the tree has to adjust and grow some deeper roots. Trying to find something that was deeper when it didn't have to find something that deep before. I believe that is spot on for us in God because it's like the moment that you first try to find God in your life, everything points to God. You turn on the radio and it's like, oh my gosh, I just really needed to hear that song. It was perfect for me. Right? I remember a kid told me one time, dude, God is totally speaking to me, bro. Because it's like I even looked outside and all of the telephone poles look like crosses, dude. I never saw that before. It's like, good for you, man. <laughs> good for you. I wish I could be like that. <laughs> it's like everything is just like, you, you go to church once, you're like, that was exactly what I needed to hear. Oh my goodness. But then as months go on, a couple years go on, all of a sudden you're turning on, on the radio station, you're like flipping channels, like what the heck? None of these songs are speaking to me. Before, you could just open a Bible randomly and like, like a tarot card reading and just find something like, that's what I needed to hear. I didn't even have to look for it. It's just there. But all of a sudden, a couple months later, you might actually have to start reading the Bible, digging a little bit deeper, taking more in. You can't just turn on a wor- uh, the radio to find a worship song. You have to look for a worship song. Even just for that simple connection with God. See, that's what it's like in life. The river goes up and it goes down. Does that mean that you're always going to be chasing? No, there's going to be seasons where the river's up, seasons where the river's down. 
Think about the other parts of the tree. It has times of fruitfulness, times where everything's gone, times of pruning, times of collecting. Isn't that a lot like life? You ever been financially in a spot where it's like, man, like, I don't even know what to do with my money. <laughs> I remember moments like that. It's like, well, I guess I, I'll just give more. And then there's been moments like, I need to take an offering. We're talking about giving them. <laughs> it's like we just, we go through the times where it's fruitful, times where it's not. Times where you get friends, times where you have to do some pruning and lose, lose some friends. See, the tree by the river, it, it, it shows all the different seasons that we really go through as people, as individuals. Times when we need more, times where we need less. But really, satisfaction is only found in God. I truly believe that. That pleasures are necessary in our lives. We do need pleasure. But it's a moment that we trust God to know that there are healthier pleasures than the ones that we've been giving ourselves into. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And even with healthy pleasures, they're fleeting. I do believe there's healthy pleasures and unhealthy pleasures. But I do also believe that every pleasure is insatiable. If you put your satisfaction or fulfillment in that pleasure, you're never going to be satisfied. Even a healthy one, like I said, about, like I was saying at the beginning, working out, that's a healthy one, but if it consumes you, it's where you have to. It's the only thing that you're looking forward to. Then you're chasing something that's insatiable. Even in a marriage, if your spouse or the person that you're with is the only thing that brings you happiness, the only thing that you look forward to, even in people, it's insatiable. You'll always be left let down because people, even the ones that love us so much, cannot satisfy that thing within our souls. But God is the one thing in this universe that can truly satisfy us. He is the one truth that we can stand on. The Bible says that He is the foundation for our lives. If you trust in Him, it's like laying your house down on a solid foundation. And everything else is like building a house on sand. It may seem like it's stable at one point, but it'll give way and fall apart later. God is the only thing that can satisfy your souls. And there's a pleasure in accepting that and trusting in Him. There is a trust that's required to believe in Jesus Christ. Because there's a trust that comes saying, man, I'm going to have to trust God even with my peace. For me, that's what finished the thought. January 27, 2010, when I stopped smoking weed, I said, this is it. This is final. And again, this is not a ploy to try to tell anyone, don't do this or don't do that. I'm just sharing my story. And I remember it was January 27, 2010. It was a Wednesday. It was the third day of my fast of smoking weed. 
And that Wednesday, I realized that I was trusting in pleasure for my peace. And what was really holding me back from from giving it up was the idea of trusting God with my happiness. Trusting God with, that was like the last percentage. That was everything. I was willing to do everything else. I was willing to give my life for ministry, etc., But to be happy, that's where I was hesitant. And that day is when I really took a step of faith. Said, God, I'm going to trust you even with the pleasures of my life. The peace, the happiness of my soul. And that was the same day that I got water baptized. And I'm telling you, from that moment, my life has been exceptionally full of happiness and pleasure and incomparable in satisfaction. And with that being said, I want us all to close our eyes and bow our heads. If you're here today and you're willing and ready to put that kind of trust in Jesus, sometimes we don't even understand why Jesus died on the cross. The reason He died is because sin is a wedge that separates us from God. And when he died on the cross, he was the son of God, blameless and holy. And he took our place to pay for our sin and our debt to make a transaction so that we would not be judged by our crimes of sin, by our past, but that we would be forgiven, covered in grace instead. John 3.16 literally says that he came to save the world, not to judge it. Those who put their trust in Him will not be judged. Doesn't mean that we become a good person and that's what saves us. It means that we're literally expunged from being judged in the first place because of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you're ready to do that and trust God 100%, even with your peace and your happiness and your pleasure, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hand. And so if you raise, rose your hand, or even if you wanted to, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And if you've already given your life to Christ, I want you to repeat this prayer too as a reaffirmation of your faith. Say, Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. My trust of peace, and happiness, and even pleasure. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. Be the Lord of my life and the Savior to my soul. Forgive me of my sins. Make me new. In Jesus' name.